I'm building a spirit-filled church in North Raleigh. Those were, the, those were the words that God spoke to Pastor Jim when New Path was forming. And, and Jim is God's man for this place. And God, through Jim, God revealed his heart for us. So being a spirit-filled church is God's destiny, his calling for us. But then the question is, what does that mean? What's it look like, taste like, smell like, feel like when God pours his spirit out on a community? What, what happens when that happens in a place? So God has given this amazing example of the beauty and the power of what happens when God pours his spirit out on a community of believers, and that's in Acts chapter 2. So I have the privilege today of launching our, our fall series, the characteristics of a spirit-filled community. But I want to say this, and I'm speaking on behalf of the pastoral leadership team. This is more than a sermon series. Like, this is a heartfelt prayer. We, we don't want to just talk about these things. We're praying that as we, as we talk about them and as we pray for them and as, as God grabs our heart Sunday by Sunday, that there truly is a movement of the Spirit of God. So we are boldly praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that's manifested in the same ways that it was manifested in Acts chapter 2. And when that happens, everything changes. In Acts chapter 2, something amazing happened. I mean, the, the Spirit was poured out and it just tore down all the normal walls that divide us. And really, truly, that's what it takes. Because the walls are high and thick. I mean, it takes the sheer raw power of God from on high to break us as a community out of isolation and selfish preoccupation. I was thinking about that uh, Simon and Garfunkel hit tune in the 60s, I'm a Rock, this week. And I, I'm just going to read you a little bit of the lyrics. On a winter's day, in a deep and dark descent, I wish I could sing. But it would be awful. On a winter's day, in a deep and dark December, I am alone, gazing from my window to the streets below on a freshly fallen, silent shroud of snow. I am a rock. I am an island. I have no need of friendships. Friendships cause pain. It's laughter and it's loving. I disdain. I'm a rock. I'm an island. And a rock feels no pain. And an island never cries. You know, that was a number one tune. Because you know why? It touches something that every one of us has experienced in our attempts at real relationships. You know and I know that getting close can be painful and disappointing. Because there's just like this big fundamental problem. And that's people. <laughs> I mean, people are people. And you are going to hurt each other. I guarantee it. It's true in every friendship, every marriage, every family, and every church. And, you know, wouldn't it, we want church to be different. You want church to be that one place that's different, you know, the house of God. But, you know, we don't have a way to check our humanity at the door, you know, with our umbrellas on a rainy day. It's just, it's just easier when you've been hurt to just give up on church 
right? Because a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. And it's only the spirit of God that can lift us out of ourselves into being a loving, learning, worshiping, witnessing community. So here's the interesting thing about Acts chapter two in Pentecost. So Pentecost is the first time in the New Testament that God's spirit is poured out on a community. The interesting thing about the description of what happens is that it isn't about anybody's individual experience. So the, the spirit is given to the church but not just so that we can have personal fulfillment. There is healing, but God, God didn't pour out a spirit with just your healing in mind. The spirit was given to move us as a community, as a group beyond ourselves to other people. And Acts chapter two is a portrait of what that life together can look like. And so today I'm gonna to talk about four characteristics of life together in spirit-filled community. And this is just like an opening salvo. I'm just gonna hope, you know, I pray this just whets your appetite. In fact, I pray that it directs our prayer life as a community, but we're gonna go back and touch on these things one by one and more characteristics than the ones that I'm gonna give you this morning. But the first characteristic of a spirit-filled community was that they were a grace-giving community full of hope and forgiveness. And here's why I say that. So we're going to read, starting with Acts 2.36. So Peter's preaching. He's preaching the gospel for the first time. And he says to the crowd, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Larry, I kept thinking of this verse when you were speaking because the promise of God isn't just for you, it was for you and it was for Jenny, it was for you, and it was for your family, and it's for our friends, and it's for our community. In fact, it's for anyone that is willing to receive it. And those who accepted this message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. So here's, here's the thing. Okay, I, somehow this gets missed. The outpouring of the Spirit started with an admission of sin and a startling offer of grace, an offer of life, hope, forgiveness. That offer came only 50 days after the unjust, brutal murder of the person who was most important to Peter in his life, more important than even his family. And yet those very people who were culpable in seeing the death of Jesus come to fruition, it's, he's able to 50 days later say there's forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. I mean, the blood had hardly dried on their garments before they realized that they had unjustly executed a man who was not just a carpenter, he was both 
the Lord and the Messiah. He was God in the flesh. And so Peter, can you imagine this boldness when he looks at him? He looks at the crowd and he said, God made this Jesus whom you crucified. Both Lord and Messiah. And they're cut to the heart. But I'm just so proud he made the offer. <laughs> and they say, what do we do? And he says, repent and be baptized, right? He told them to, to demonstrate the inward transformation through this outward act of baptism. And the repentance is that they would utterly embrace the one they had utterly rejected. And 3,000 responded. 3,000 were baptized. Can you imagine that? Like, there's only 12 apostles. I mean, now there are 12 waterlogged apostles. I mean, because if you do the math, like 12 into 3,000, I think that's 250 people each. I'm just saying, in that river, there is a new community that's formed. It's an international community of believers. It's a, it's a first century global village that was birthed by grace through faith. And that's what spirit-filled community looks like. Here's the deal. It just, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done in the past. It doesn't matter if you've been through a divorce or several divorces or had an abortion or succumbed to an addiction or had an affair or embezzled money or went to prison or whatever it is that might haunt you. The gospel doesn't let those things define us any more than it let the sins of the people that day who had crucified God himself define them. That was no longer the defining moment of their life. The defining moment of their life was they received the truth of forgiveness and they believed there was an offer of new life because they were a grace-giving community full of hope and forgiveness. That is characteristic number one, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on a group. And here's characteristic number two. They were a loving learning community engaged with heart and mind devoted to the word and prayer. And this is probably one of my favorite verses. They devoted, okay, devoted's a big word. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So the second characteristic of a spirit-filled community is that that community is under the word of God. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That the spirit of God brings a hunger for the word of God. And the word of God is so beautiful. I mean, I cherish the word of God. Like, I love the scriptures. I meditate. I stew. I chew on the word. I hope you can see it. I hope you can feel it when I, when I get up and preach. Because at the end of the day, I just, I want you to understand what happened, what God has said. I, I mean, I really don't care. This is why I don't talk about something. <laughs> I really, it, you know what? It doesn't matter what I have to say. I don't even care what I have to say. I'm saying it. <laughs> It's what God has said that matters. 
And so when you can see that, when you can walk through a passage and you can taste it and you can touch it and you can smell it and this is what God thinks, then that gives you the courage then to stand on it. It gives us, we have to own that this is the word of God, that God said it and just let that build confidence in us because spiritual power comes to us through the word. And so we have to spend time soaking in his word. Hebrews 4.12 says this. His word is powerful and as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. Okay, so it's one thing now to hear the word, right? They devoted themselves to the word, but they also devoted themselves to prayer. So you have to have both. You got to hear the word with your mind, but the journey's not complete till that word makes its way down into our heart. And that's the work of prayer. So prayer and the word, that's like, it's like peanut butter and jelly. It's like bacon and eggs. I mean, they just go together because they work together to transform us. Here's the third characteristic of a spirit-filled church is that they were a loving community who made real relationships a priority. All right, so listen to this crazy description of life together. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So the third characteristic of a spirit-filled church is that they made real relationships a priority. And if you ever get a real relationship, I mean, an authentic relationship where you can be yourself and they love you for who you are, that's a gift from heaven. And we... We struggle with it. Now, I think maybe, and this is a gross generalization, so forgive me, but I think ladies may be better at this than men. I used to, <laughs> I, I, I was in a small group, it's called a Samson group, and uh, we called ourselves pirate monks, and it was, a, it was a men's group. But a part of our confession, and we actually read this sentence every time we got together, is that we're like Samson in the, in the Old Testament that we're natural born strong men, we're natural born loners, we're natural born judges, and we're natural born liars. Because you know what our heart is? Our heart is to say, I got it, no, I'm good, I'm fine, I can handle it. You keep saying that to the point, you know what, you're a liar. I mean, you're not telling the truth anymore. And there's just so much inside of us that resist being real. I mean, telling the truth, you know what? It's hard to risk it. And then there's all this external pressure because we have this blistering pace of life that just doesn't allow time for relationship. And so here's what the result is. Believers live in isolation. And that's more common than not. And you can, you can believe God and live in isolation, right? And in no real deep relationship. You can do that and still be a believer, but you're not going to grow you will get stuck. It's not an overcoming way to live. 
And so the power of this thing was community. It's that God poured a spirit out and then, and then there was this unbelievable depth of community and unity. It said all the believers were together and had everything in common. So it gave them, the spirit gave them a great desire for real relationship. And then he gave them a great capacity for real relationship. And these people, it's not like they knew each other. There weren't natural affinities. They didn't go to the same high school, right? They were, they were thrown together from different nations. They didn't even speak all the same languages and yet they had everything in common. And they spent a lot of time together. It's so different than church, United States of America church where, you know, you pop in and then I pop off and then you pop out the lunch and then I'll see you next Sunday. Here the text says they worshiped God daily in the temple and they worshiped in their homes. Right? They worshiped in formal settings in the temple. They worshiped in formal settings in their homes, which is a part of why we're launching life groups. Because we want worship to be a way of life, not just something that happens here. This would be the equivalent of the temple. It's not just something here on Sundays. It's something that, that goes throughout our week and becomes a part of our lives where we create a context where you can have real relationships. And then it's so cool as they describe the real relationships, it says they had glad and sincere hearts. And I'll just have to tell you, what's a phrase? That phrase, glad and sincere, that was, that's, a, that's a pretty cool balance. Joyful honesty. You know, the sincere part means they kept it real, right? So that's what sincerity is. You, you, you have the virtue of you're willing to be honest about your feelings and your thoughts and your desires. And the, the origin of that word, though it is debated, but it's been commonly believed that the word sincere comes from two Latin words, sine, sere. Sine means without, sere means wax. It actually means without wax. And so that came from less than ethical marble merchants of Rome who would create these like these works of marble and they'd have like dinks and chips and then they would get wax and they'd color it. And then they'd fill in all the dinks and chips, all the imperfections. And then you'd look at that, you'd like look at that statue, you'd be like, well, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And then you'd get so excited and you'd take it home and then you'd like, you put it out in your little garden and then the sun would come out and it would heat up and the wax would melt. And then you'd see all the chips and all the dinks. And so honest marble merchants, they, they went ahead and took a proactive action and they put a sign in the window and it would say, sine sere, without wax. We don't use wax here. What you see is what you get. If there's an imperfection, you're going to see it. And that's what, it, that's what real relationship means. It means we, we live together for who we are. And so we don't hide our imperfections from each other, even though you know, even though life is tough and life is tough, it is and our hearts are wild. But when we don't hide it from each other, there's a chance of real life and real love. But the amazing thing about this was that they were sincere and glad. 
That doesn't really work together that well all the time. That, I mean, that's the work of the Holy Spirit right there. You know, so, and this is so dumb, but I've been like through this long evolution of um, people say, well, how are you? Well, first off, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Last time I checked three months ago. I, yeah. But, but, you know, usually, you know, God, thankfully, nobody really means it or not nobody, you know, but most time people, it's like a formality, you know? So I've just learned to, you know, like, I'm awesome. How are you? And then every, every once in a while, somebody will go, hey, no, really, really, how are you? I'm like, I don't know what to say. I'm like, well, do you, do you want the long answer? Or do, you, do you want the short answer? Because that weeds out a lot of people. Like, uh, uh, what's the short answer? Awesome. I'm <laughs> good. Thank you. That's great. But if they want the long answer, do you know what I end up telling them most of the time? I'm telling them things that are wrong. Like that, that, that's the old man. Because honesty shouldn't be equated with negativity. But it often is, right? If somebody, if you're in a conversation with somebody and they say, look, look, I, ju I just want to tell you the truth. Like, duck. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what's happening next, but it's not good. <laughs> but, so, so what happened? I mean, what, but there's a deeper truth than our struggles, right? There's God, and like Larry described, he's sovereign and he's at work. And that's why we can always be glad. There's always this gladness because we're, we're trusting him. So I'm, I just keep waiting for those people who say, I, I want to tell you the truth. Okay. He's risen. <laughs> I want to tell you the truth. You're loved. <laughs> You're worse than you thought and more loved than you can ever imagine. That's the deeper, fuller truth. And the truth is we have much more to be thankful for than we have to complain about. And that's the perspective. That's the attitude of gratitude that the spirit of God bursts in our heart when he's poured out upon us. So the third characteristic of a spirit-filled community is that they have real relationships. They, they make those real relationships a real priority, which means you have to make time. You have to figure out how to do that. And here's the fourth one and the last one for today is that they were a welcoming community, ministering to those God put in their path. 239, the promise, the first time the gospel is ever preached, Peter says the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off and for all whom the Lord our God will call. So they understood from moment one that this wasn't just a personal private transaction between me and God. It was God coming to me in order to bless a community of people. It was always about community. Jesus just didn't die for me that I might have a better life. He died for us that we might have a life together. That's the true gospel. When Jesus taught us to pray, he didn't say, pray this way, my father who art in heaven. He did not say that. What did he say? Pray this way, our father. Because he died for us that we can have life together. And I'm asking God to become that welcoming 
person who's willing to minister to whoever God puts in my path. And I'll have to say, God's working that work is, see, my esteem for, for Pastor Perry, Pastor Jim, and many of the minister leaders of the church is enormous here. Because I see, I see this, and I'm challenged by it. So, so I'm like, um, I don't seem like it, but I'm driven. I know I don't seem like it, or maybe I do, but I don't think I do. So, like, so the other morning I went to the coffee shop, dropped the kids off from school, went to the coffee shop. I walk in the coffee shop. This coffee shop is struggling. I know the people that own it are believers because they play Christian music all the time. And so I walk in and I'm the only one there again. And I love this little place. And the two owners are there and they're complaining. They're like, I can't believe this hasn't taken off. And it really has been about six months. And, you know, I'm like, I oh, don't know. Can I have a large? <laughs> I haven't had my coffee, okay? So, and I have a lot of things to do. This, I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm under the tyranny. I have a long list and I got to get, and this is my time and this is my, and I'm tired. I went to bed late. And so, you know, I go to sit down and the Lord just convicted me. Pray for them. Go pray with them. I'll put them in your path. Right? And I'm learning that from you. I have to say, I'm very happy about that. And I'm praying that God begins where I can just kind of get out of myself a little bit more and into, hey, what are you doing in this moment, Lord? Because it's, it's really so exciting. William Barclay wrote this about evangelism, about ministering to others. He said, it's impossible to talk to some people about Jesus because of their insensitiveness, their their moral blindness, their intellectual pride, and it leaves them to hardened about the words of Christ. But he said this, it's always possible to show men Christ. And that the weakness of the church is not in the lack of Christian argument, but in the lack of Christian love. By this, all men will know you're my disciples, by your love for one another. And I really do believe it's why our evangelism is anemic. Because we're out there on our own, giving them words. When, when from the very beginning, it was about a community of people that loved each other, that was so attractive that they took up and, that, you know, the world took notice. And, 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 and people were amazed about what they saw because they weren't out there as individuals, as one-offs. They were a community committed to life together in which they would invite people in. That's powerful gospel. And again, I'm just, this is my hope and my prayer for a life group. It's not only that it's available to people who just come to church and they can get in real relationship, but then we have this community of people. It's an evangelistic group, right? For, for people out there, how many people do you know that know God that don't go to church? Because, because I'm a rock and I'm an island and a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. It's just a lot easier out there by myself. It's a lot less risky. They're out there. They need community. They won't grow. They won't find that healing that they need. And they're not going to, it's very difficult to come into this place, but they'll come into a home with a personal invite. It's a much better bridge. So to use those places. And then when we together can... Cannot, it's not that we're trying to prove something, it's just that we're loving each other. 
I mean, the Spirit of God truly does live in this place. It does. I'm affirming that to you. I've had several junctures in my life, you know, I'm looking for a church. And it's kind of a miserable thing if you try to find a church. Because it just is. It's like, uh, it's hard to find a church you like. And then it's really hard to find a church not only that you like, but that you want to invite people to. And this is that place. I mean that from the bottom of my heart. This is a safe, healing, gospel-centered, Holy Spirit church that offers hope and forgiveness for anybody that will walk through the door. It is. And and a lot of that, I'm just going to say for me, for where I'm at, and I know I'm new, but it goes back to Pastor Perry and Pastor Jim. They are filled with the Spirit and for the right reason. It's not for themselves, it's for you. It's for him. They want to see God glorified in your life. They want to see you take another step in. They want to see healing. They want to see families transformed. But see, the hard thing about seeking the Holy Spirit is that we start doing it and then we kind of get, we, we start doing it for the wrong reasons. I mean, if you, if you say, God, I pour out your spirit because I want to know your peace, you know, it kind of doesn't work because the first thing that God does is he's going to cut you to the core, right? He's going he's to convict you of sin. He's going to turn your laughter into mourning. He's going to turn your heart inside out. Now, if you'll go there, you'll end up with peace because that's, peace is a result of reconciliation with God. Or if you say to God, I, please, please fill me with the Holy Spirit because, because I need your comfort. Well, I'm just telling you, it doesn't work. Because God comes to us and he says, look, it's not about comfort, it's about me. And you've got to put me in front of everything else in your life. And if you're willing to do that very uncomfortable thing, if you learn to cling to me like nothing else, then you'll know comfort. Or you say, God, pour out your spirit. I want an abundant life. And then, and then he turns to us and says, oh, good, come and die. That's what he says, because the door to peace is the pain of conviction and the door to comfort is frightening abandonment and the door to life in the spirit is death to the flesh. So when we're seeking for our own ends, it doesn't work. This is how James said it. He said it this way. You don't have because you don't ask. And when you do ask, you don't receive because you asked with the wrong motives, that you'd spend it, spend what you get on your own pleasures. I mean, here's the truth. The Holy Spirit is not ours, we are his. It's, it's about him. He's given us his spirit so that we can love each other and those in the world. And when we're in alignment with what he wants to do, there's no reason that he won't pour it out in abundance. And when that happens, man, when what's on God's heart gets on our heart, the universe shifts. Miracles are released. Joy breaks out. Unity blossoms. Lives are transformed. People are added to the kingdom. And that's our prayer. It's our hope. It's our vision. It's our prayer. And it's not enough that it's our prayer. It's got to be your prayer. It's got to be your prayer. 
us together, asking God that he would use us in this world to bring him glory and to bring others to him. Because it isn't about us in the end. Will you pray that prayer with me right now? Lord, these things that I'm talking about, press them in us. Press them into us. That we'd have a burden to see kingdom converts. Lord, that we'd long to see lives transformed. Marriages healed, children restored, businesses humanized, resources marshaled for the kingdom of God, for the glory of the kingdom of God, for the glory of the king. Lord, we just get lost. We get lost in our pursuits and our comforts and our little life and our to-do lists. And I mean, I'm the chief of sinners. Lord, break out. Bust us out of ourselves. We could stand here a year from now and we could name the the families, we could name the people, we could name the converts. Lord, pour out your spirit on us. And whatever's in the way, just, just take it out of the way. Thank you that the people in Acts 2 (laughs) were far less than perfect. They had murdered your only son. And yet the moment they were willing to believe, they were forgiven and filled with the Spirit. We receive that. Come Holy Spirit.